From Nevada Public Radio, I'm Joe Shaneman at State of Nevada. Seven years ago, Nevada legalized recreational marijuana for adults. Three years ago, the state legalized marijuana consumption lounges and has taken that long for the first state-regulated lounge to be approved and opened not too far from the Strip. It's called Smoke and Mirrors, and it sits in the Thrive Cannabis Marketplace on Sammy Davis Jr. Drive, just behind Circus Circus and Resorts World. And it's the work of Christopher Laporte and Scott Rutledge of Reset and Mitch Britton, CEO of Thrive. Christopher and Scott are with us now. Welcome, you two. What's good, Downtown Joe? Good morning, Joe. <laughs> it's good, great to have you guys here. And Chris, I'm going to start with you. Smoke and Mirrors is the first lounge to go through the state's regulation system. You wanted to be open for events like MJ Biz, that convention, and the Super Bowl, but, but you didn't make it. And you opened last Friday instead. What was behind the delays? Was it uh, regulatory stuff? Was the place just not ready? No, it was definitely a combination of both, but primarily just regulatory hurdles that if you open up a bar, it's a pretty seasoned you know, experience to get that license. This is the first time we're having this particular license up for you know, business. And so it just took time because a lot of people had to figure out how to do this the right way. And yeah. so patience yeah. persevered. And you're going to be the model now for those that come after you. You know, you have been talking about the merger of consumption lounges and Vegas hospitality for a long time. How many years did it take to go from this concept to to manifestation? Uh, probably around seven years now. We started with the city of Las Vegas with Bob Coffin seven years ago, working with Mr. Rutledge. And, you know, good things come to those who wait. Yeah. What kind of research did you do as you envisioned this? And then you built out Smoke and Mirrors. I mean, was it surveys? Did you go to states with legal lounges? Talk, talk a little bit about There's that. There's a lot of firsthand experience, definitely some anecdotal stuff as we saw, you know, businesses in Las Vegas kind of open up <clears throat> and we're starting to see more people come out of the closet, as I like to say. <laughs> and so, you know, just again, firsthand experience in Amsterdam, in West Hollywood, in New York City, you know, some were legal, some not legal. And seeing kind of a culmination of all these experience and then taking Las Vegas hospitality as we know it, it was a pretty simple algebraic equation. What did you see in those other places, in the other lounges that you really wanted to have here? Well, what we didn't, what I didn't see and that what we have in the regs is the opportunity to really combine a food and beverage opportunity. And it's not just saying that you have to have infused cannabis foods, but it's just to have very good food. And been in Vegas with the number of amazing chefs that we have here, it was just the perfect opportunity to say you're going to get the munchies, whether you like that or not, the terminology. But you're going to get hungry, so let's have it in the room. Scott Rutledge, you wanted to add something to that. I did, Joe. So we have looked at probably a dozen or so cannabis venues across the country. Most states don't have regulations like we have. And, and ours were intentionally designed because all of these other businesses and other markets were not successful because they limited them to so many things. Probably the one thing I will tell you that is going to put has put Vegas on the map and this is going to prove out over the next few months, is the idea of the cannabis cocktail. So in any other market, this idea of making a ready-to-consume or built-from-scratch infused cocktail with cannabis does not exist. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And so when we put that into the state law and then develop the regs, what we've now developed is a whole new genre called cannabis mixology. And it does exist, and there have been books been written, and there are some wonderful people out there that have been doing this, but not in a licensed way. 
And so now we're taking something that sort of existed on the fringes and we're bringing it into licensed establishments. And these cannabis drinks look just like cocktails. That is probably what is going to differentiate Las Vegas from the rest of the world for some time. So do, can these drinks, I mean, uh, is the potency diluted in the drink? I mean, or can they still get you high? Absolutely. Um, it's a low dose, two and a half milligram up to five and then 10. And that, that's the top at the state regulatory level. But we'd rather you come in and order three, two and a half milligram beverages, just like you order three, two or three drinks at a bar. You know your tolerance. It's not going to hit you all at once. And you're going to be able to fill that buzz, but you're not going to overconsume because it's important that our patrons don't overconsume for all the reasons. You have been open for almost a week. You know, there is another lounge in town. It's been here for about five years. It's new, but it, it was built on tribal land just north of downtown. Um, you have one near the Strip. I, I wonder, just in these first few days, what's business been like, Christopher? Oh, it's been very exciting. We're getting people, I mean, we're literally having people who've just heard about us that day on the news to that effect, or just see something on social media, and they're curious. And a lot of the people that are coming in are actually kind of curious, as they like to say. And they're here to kind of get their hand held a little bit and have this journey that we provide, where it's like, let's figure out what are you, what is your cannabis experience, and how can we kind of blow your mind and that's what we're doing because the combination of very good music the combination of again las vegas white glove hospitality and then the visuals and the aesthetics of the room people are just really enjoying themselves i'm dying to know what kind of music i, I if, if people don't know christopher uh, opened insert coins down on fremont street gosh it's over 10 years ago now i think a little bit more than that uh, we're they, old they, yeah yeah <laughs> You had some really uh, interesting and good '80s music. I mean, what do you bring into this lounge? No, it's it's the same. Pro it's the same thought process. Is that when we did insert coins, it's video games touches everybody, and that was a long time ago. And now we're saying cannabis touches everybody. We had a bunch of 55 plus year olds come in the room last night, and we switched the music up to a little bit of jazz just to make it fun for them. And there's, of course, the 21 to 35. We can't sit there and say what is cannabis culture, what is the cannabis demographic. That's like saying who drinks? I mean, it's it's American as apple pie, in my opinion. It's a lot of people who smoke weed. So, you know, we are just ensuring that we're curating a great sound for as many people as possible because that's the skill set that Las Vegas has. We have great, talented DJs and musicians. Let's give them a nice opportunity to maybe explore a little more and come out of your comfort zone and you're high. So maybe you do want to learn and explore new music. So we're all over the map. You know, you had some powerful people at the opening last Friday. Clark County Commissioner uh, Chairman Tick Sigerbloom, the main legislature, le legislator, can't speak today, who is really behind cannabis legislation in Nevada, was there, as well as State Assembly Speaker Steve Yeager. They helped christen the place. Tick even lit up at 420 to be the first consumer of the lounge. So let's say, though, I, I want to hang out there and, and, and light up there. So I walk into Thrive. Take me through the process. What is the process? What do I do? It is no different than any lounge in Las Vegas. And again, Las Vegas hospitality. You're going to go to a host stand. We're going to check you in. We're going to recommend that you make a reservation prior to. The room currently only seats around 80 people. And as you're brought to your table, whether you're at the bar or a high top or a, a very plush couch seating area or a VIP room, this is when we start to ask questions and find out what is your experience with cannabis. And then we present you a menu and then we just kind of give you the opportunity to decide, do I want to go with, to Scott's earlier point of 
cannabis-infused cocktail? Do you want to pair that with the pre-roll, loose flour? What kind of paraphernalia would you like? And as that's happening, you know, you have staff table touching and making sure you're having a good time, a safe time, and the music is going, and it's just, you know, overall no different than going to a very nice lounge in a casino. I really want to talk about the menu. Um, so let's say I'm there, and uh, or, or somebody else is there, let's say, and they're looking at the menu, and they see somebody, they want to buy a drink. Can they do that? At this point, that's a better question for Mr. Rutledge. Um, I'm, I don't think so yet. We're still working through some of the uh, regulatory uh, steps, but my, my guess is in the future, yes, you would be able to speak to the bartender, have them send a drink over with that guest saying, yes, I would like that drink, right? But it's not going to get sat over there and then not drink. So there has to be some sort of uh, acceptance by the guest to say, I yeah, I would like that. Um, but everybody in the venue has to have every drink or product that they purchase is linked to them. Uh, because it's cannabis, it's not alcohol, so we have to do things a little differently. But I will say this, some of the things we may not be able to do today, the goal is to work with our regulators who are looking at us, as you said earlier, with a model. Mm -hmm. They want feedback from us in real time about what's working, what's not, and then we'll evolve the regulations. But, but if I'm with three people, I can buy a round. Uh, it's my understanding that, yes, somebody can pay for all three of those drinks, okay. yes, but they have to be assigned to each individual. I understand. Yeah. Ahead, if I may interject, you know, again, this is where the partnership with Thrive has been so invaluable. I came in here with this. This is how you do Las Vegas hospitality. And the guys at Thrive are like, well, this is how cannabis works and this is regulated regulations. And so there's a patience process that I think we all have to have mm -hmm. in terms of let's figure out the steps to how to do it. We don't have a POS system like a restaurant or, you know, a bar has. We have a government regulated platform that has to be very carefully scrutinized. And what did you say? Input. It was like the DMV yeah, versus we're, working, we're working with, with the DMV <laughs> versus working with the traditional POS system. So please, everyone, have patience with us. We're going to get there and we'll be able to equal the same hospitality speed and level uh, as any traditional place in Las Vegas. A couple more questions in that way. If I buy from Thrive, can I take it into the lounge? You can buy all your product in the lounge itself. And what you don't finish in the lounge, you can't take with you. This is no different than going to a bar. You don't leave with a whiskey sour in your hands that you didn't finish. However, you can purchase cannabis from the dispensary after leaving the venue gotcha. and the dispensary itself. What if I get the munchies? Any, any food? Food is coming. It is. Yeah, we'll have snacks here pretty soon and then uh, a more built-out program. But yeah, in March, next month, yeah, today is the 29th, right? Next month, we're going to have we're gonna have food offerings. You know, in bars, <clears throat> taverns, uh, bartenders are supposed to sort of watch out to see who's drinking too much. There's no real regulation on that, I don't think, in this state. But are there, are there limits in a consumption lounge? So the way it works is um, the server is going to serve you a, a drink, right? And they're going to keep an eye on you and... You're, maybe you're smoking a joint as well. What you often find with cannabis in particular is a lot of people are self-regulating. They kind of know their limits. We've seen several like half-smoked joints left behind yeah. or half-drank cocktails because people, it, when, the, when the effect hits, they know, wait a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it easy. And as far as not over-serving, I mean, that's just really based on you know, the servers and the bartenders and the managers being able to understand where these guests are at. Yeah. Do you need reservations? It's highly recommended. Absolutely. Smokeandmirrorslv.com. Now, uh, Christopher, you've been talking on social media a lot about merging lounges, cannabis, Vegas hospitality. 
How will that last part, hospitality, be felt by customers? I, I get I, it's it's what we are in this town. Like it's at the end of the day, we are going to make you not think of what. You may be thinking a lounge is in your head, right? A smoke shop. This venue has the most amazing HVAC system. This venue has staff that is going to constantly be there to say, how can I help you? You're not just, I made jokes years ago when I first talked to you about the opium den. Yeah. This is not one of those. It's a beautiful space. The air is great. You could walk out and you don't smell like cannabis because you're moving the air so much. It's a high level experience. That's hospitality, making sure you have exactly what you want to be comfortable, not be interrupted or disturbed by us helping you, which is an art in and of itself when you're table touching. And it's those things where you're just going to walk out like, wow, I had a really good time. Oh, I don't smell like whatever. And you move on. So, yeah, it's going to be how Vegas can do it because we have the people who know how to do this for so long. You know, lounges have to be 1,500 feet away from any casino with more than 16 gaming machines. I think that's the regulation. Taverns can be right inside a casino. I wonder if you think the day will come when the state or the feds will legalize recreational cannabis and the lounges might be in casinos as well. I am a big proponent for that happening for a number of reasons. Casinos are always looking for what is the next big thing. We have a 21 to 30-year-old market currently looking for non-alcoholic options, and we have the non-alcoholic options with cannabis cocktails, and they're enjoying them. And as we see mocktails currently explored by the casino markets, there's going to be a time where we're going to be able to prove not only are people smoking weed or drinking weed socially, but what if they pick up their phone and start looking at the sports bets that they want to do on BetMGM? And what if we could start proving that, hey, cannabis consumers, they bet just like everybody else. So and, I, and maybe more poorly. <laughs> I'm just joking. I, we did have the Pacers game on last night. Um, so, yeah, you know, I do think we're going to be able to prove out that we have a market that is worth supporting. One thing I would add to that, Joe, is if you look at the explosion of uh, hemp-derived cannabinoid drinks across the country right now, they are selling these beverages in total wines. They're on the end caps yeah. in places like Minneapolis, et cetera. You're also going to see these in NHL arenas. So there are currently THC cannabinoid drinks made from hemp being sold. Uh, you can buy them online. So we think that eventually the, the state and the resort industry here will figure out a way to incorporate cannabis and gaming, and it may not happen until federal legalization, or it could happen prior, especially if we're seeing more and more uh, states sell these THC hemp-derived beverages everywhere. You know, Scott, you've been involved, <clears throat> excuse me, in a lot of lobbying, talking to legislators over several years. Do you think that day is coming? That the, I mean, is it coming closer? that federal lawmakers will legalize recreational marijuana? I don't trust the federal government to figure anything else out about this other than Schedule 3. And Schedule 3 is an interesting thing to watch because it's not going to happen overnight. But if the DEA does reschedule, and the FDA made a very convincing case, it's a 230-page memo that explained all the medical benefits. They were actually using state-based data for the first time. Uh, when that happens, that'll start to open the door a little bit. You're going to see more access to banking. There are a lot of things that are going to happen federally. We're not going to see an end to federal prohibition. But I think states are going to continue to lead on this matter. And it could turn into a lot of a lot of things could happen before federal legalization that we wouldn't expect. And one of those may be cannabis and gaming. 
The first state-approved marijuana consumption lounge opened last week, three years after the state approved such lounges. It's the work of Christopher Laporte and Scott Rutledge of Reset and Mitch Britton, CEO of Thrive. Uh, Scott, you know, you have lobbied, again, hard for this day. How long has it actually taken? I mean, was this a concept in your mind even before the legalization of recreational marijuana for adults? Um, it, it was probably during the campaign. As you know, I managed the campaign in 2016. And, and speaking with our campaign chairman, Tick Segerblum, one of the things that was not addressed in the initiative was, were people going to consume cannabis? And because we didn't have an answer, I think that was, that we started to try to answer that question in 2017 when we launched uh, legal uh, sales on July 1st. This conversation started with a Green Ribbon panel at the Clark County Commission. At the same time, Chris and I were back channeling, having conversations with council members and staff at the city of Las Vegas. We passed an ordinance in 2019. A month after that ordinance is approved at the city, uh, AB uh, 533 passes, which puts a moratorium on local jurisdictions saying you can do this. And so now we have to start over or reset the process, show up in 2021 on behalf of Chamber of Cannabis and said, let's do this. Not Speaker Yeager yet, but definitely in leadership and one of the best legislators in the building said, I'll carry that bill. He did a wonderful job with that. He was obviously at the venue with us. To have the Speaker of the State House and the Chairman of the Clark County Commission, they're celebrating at 420 this first legal cell and, and to see the Chairman light up in front of those cameras. I don't know that I would have believed we would have gotten there seven years ago, but that is a real thing. And you don't see this happen in other states either. Look for those elected officials that are out there championing this industry. You don't see it the way we have it here in Las Vegas. You know, aside from the potential of making money from this venture, why do you have a, uh, you know, you really have a passion for this. Where does that come from? I mean, number one, marijuana should have never been made illegal, right? And we have thrown hundreds of thousands of people in jail and disproportionately black and brown people in jail. Uh, legalizing marijuana is just one step. We've got to do it at the federal level. But Listen, the states are the laboratories of democracy, and the things we do at the state level ultimately always lead to influencing federal impact. And if we get enough states online, we will see the federal government finally try to, you know, right these wrongs. And, and we may never right these wrongs, Joe, because quite frankly, we have a lot of challenges that this industry still hasn't kind of dealt with. But look, at the end of the day, consumers should have a choice, right? We've been pushing alcohol on folks um, I mean, the first time I ever had a beer, I was probably a teenager, mm -hmm. right? The first time I smoked marijuana, I was probably a teenager. But the difference between having that beer and smoking a joint, if I had been caught, meant two completely different things. So part of this is just based on that experience of we should have never done it this way and people should have that choice. I think it's really quite that simple. The regulations for lounges, we've, we've talked about many times. We mentioned a little bit here today. I wonder now that you've opened a lounge, which ones do you think are going to impact your business the most? With the caveat that you think a lot of these regulations will change over time. You know, it's, it's hard to say. I think we need to let me put it this way. We haven't fully operationalized smoke and mirrors yet with the food and beverage program mm -hmm. and some of these other things. Mm -hmm. It may turn out that we got it just right. We don't know yet, but there are going to be some things that we will, again, work with the regulators on um, as it relates to the air quality issues and things like that. But I think, I think we're going to ultimately land somewhere where the regulations will soften as we prove out that 
this is you can do this safely and responsibly and not endanger the public. I wonder if that'll go with fees as well. You know, when the legalization of recreational marijuana move was happening, I can't remember the slogan, but it was basically, you know, marijuana just like regulate marijuana like alcohol. Regulate marijuana like alcohol. So the standard application fee for a lounge is $10,000. There's another $100,000 fee associated with any adjoining dispensary. Is that fair? So when we stood up this law in 2021, we were looking at how to bring new entrants into the market. And that meant that if you have, I don't know, because you couldn't own more than one, but we could have had 65 dispensaries across the state potentially, apply for these lounge licenses. And we knew at the time that then Governor Sislak was not interested in seeing that many lounges open. So we had to figure out a way to sort of place a cap without actually setting a, a number. So we said, well, let's make these expensive to get. So if you're a dispenser, you're not just going to go pay your 10000 and automatically get one of these because then we would have all of these dispensaries with attached license, attached lounges. But then we also wanted independents and social equity applicants to have an opportunity. So we were trying to figure out how to balance the playing field. So we said, if you're really serious as a dispenser and you want to do this, you're going to spend the $100,000 and you're going to make it work. That also meant that we have 20 independent licenses that have been awarded uh, as prospective licenses. Half of those are to social equity applicants. And then of the other 10 independents, what we've seen is some of those licenses are going to uh, women and minority-owned 100% ownership groups, which didn't exist in this industry prior except for a couple of licensees. So we were trying to provide more diversity and give new entrants an opportunity to participate. That's why the high price was on the dispensary attached because we didn't want to flood the market sure. with dispensary attached lounges. Uh, Chris, now that you have this place, I, I'm kind of curious. It's only been, uh, it's been less than a week. What are some of the reactions from the people who go, the customers? It's been amazingly positive. You know, people are, again, it's just not what they expect. So there's an initial wow factor that's happening. And then because people don't know what these things are going to be, to see the level of service they are providing, to see just how carefully curated the sound and the visuals are as well. It's just, you know, you and I used to go to, what, the planetarium? Ooh, yeah. this is a really cool planetarium. Gosh, we're old. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, the, the opportunity to bring the same services that you see in any other Las Vegas entertainment venue, it's the same thing. It's just a different adult substance. And Scott, when you and I were on, and maybe Chris can answer this, but you and I have talked about some of the creative ideas that people were thinking about in relation to lounges. I mean, like Nuwu has a puff and paint part where, you know, go get high and then uh, get some paints and paint some stuff. I wonder, are there concepts like that that are coming? And we have less than a minute. Sorry, sorry about this. Or do you have something like that that you want to bring in to smoke and mirrors. I'll just say broadly, we're not sure what all the different concepts are going to look like, but in just having some conversations to a person, I can tell you, I think we're going to see some different types of activations and experiences. Christopher Laporte and Scott Rutledge of Reset, along with Thrive CEO Mitch Britton, are behind Clark County's first state-approved consumption lounge. Chris and Scott, thank you and, uh, and good luck. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Joe.